Okay, now um, I'd like to invite Tracy up, who's going to share with us this morning our reading. So thank you, Tracy. And then Lizzie will come and share with us the message. Morning. The apostles performed many miracles, miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent them to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. (coughs) Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you want to speak to us today. Thank you that by your spirit, you want to proclaim your will to all of us. We ask that you'll help us to listen to what your spirit has to say and that he would anoint the spoken words that they might be yours. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I have a friend who has a small dog, a miniature poodle named Colin. 
Now, I am not, as many of you know, a dog person. But Colin is truly a marvel. He gets a bit excited when you first arrive at the house. But when he said hello, he goes and lies down in his basket. And he's no trouble at all. He never barks and he never gets agitated. And this, my friend tells me, is because he's been trained to understand that she is in charge. She is the leader of the pack. And he's completely secure in that. She once explained to me how he used to be afraid of the hoover. He felt very threatened by it. He would bark at it. But now she has shown him, by her body language, that she is in charge of the hoover. And it has nothing to do with him. He doesn't need to worry about it. He can trust her. Dogs bark, according to her, when they think that they need to sort the problem out themselves. Well, as I said, I'm not a dog person, so I don't know if this is true, but it seems to work for my friend. What would it be like to know that no matter what happens, no matter what difficulties you face, no matter what threats seem to be coming at you, somebody else is utterly and completely in charge and you don't need to worry? How would it be if we trusted God in the power of his spirit and rested in his will, obedient to him for all that he's calling us to do? In this passage, the apostles of the early church find themselves in trouble, but God is in charge and nothing is going to derail the mission we see here that the spirit makes us bold. At the beginning of the story, everything seems to be going very well. Miracles are happening. More and more people believe. Those in need of healing are brought into the city and laid in the streets so that at least Peter's shadow will fall on them. You can imagine the buzz and the excitement and the amazing work that the Spirit is doing through these believers as they continue to meet together. People are quite wary of joining them, perhaps in awe of what's going on. But nevertheless, the believers are held in high regard. It seems as if they're riding a wave of popularity which can surely only be good for the spread of their message. But of course, this doesn't last. The authorities are alarmed. They're jealous. They feel threatened. While the apostles and the members of the young church remain in the temple courts... All is well. We remember that in chapter 227, we're told that they enjoy the favor of all the people. But that's not where God intends them to stay. We've already heard in the previous chapter about the lame man who was healed by God through Peter and John. These healings continue as the apostles open themselves up to what God wants to do through them. He wants to heal broken minds and hearts and souls and bring people to himself. That's the mission of the church in the world. I wonder how we see the mission and the purpose of our church. 
When I'm not here, I'm usually preaching and leading worship in one of the smaller churches in the county. It's sometimes really difficult for the members of those churches to have a vision of what they're meant to be doing. There aren't many of them, and they feel as if they don't get very much encouragement. Their numbers dwindle. Some of the people feel as if they're too old to start thinking about new initiatives. So they say things like, well, we just try and keep the doors open, or we keep praying for more people to come in. I find it very hard sometimes to play my part in motivating and encouraging people in that situation. But we can all get in a position where we lose sight of what God wants to do through us. We forget that his church, filled with his spirit, is a powerhouse. It's always been like that and it always will be. We just need to let him direct us and remember that he is in charge. There's so much more to this than just hoping that things might improve. I was tremendously encouraged by what Rachel shared with us a few weeks ago about the Talking Jesus research by the Evangelical Alliance. It turns out that 53% of people asked said they knew a practicing Christian, someone in their family or their friendship circle. And many of them would ask that person questions of faith. Or they might look online to finding out more about Christianity. Or they would be open to reading the Bible. It was an eye-opener because what we mostly worry about, certainly what I worry about when I think about sharing my faith, is this gigantic wall of apathy that I think is out there. I tell myself that people don't really want to hear about faith. They will be put off if I start talking about it. It seems, however, that this is not the case. There are people all around us who really want to engage with our faith. They do want to know. We might not go outside there this morning and find people flocking around us like those who came to bring people who needed healing to Peter for his touch. But metaphorically, those, play, those people are everywhere we turn. So we really need to be bold, just as the apostles were bold, not being afraid to go and engage with the world, even if it seems daunting. We need to rely on God's guidance to bring us to people who really need to hear how much he loves them. Perhaps these aren't people who would come into a church building Though the Evangelical Alliance research did show that almost a quarter of those asked would consider doing so. But this church, as we all go through the week, will come across people whom God is preparing to hear the truth. Last winter I was travelling back to Littleport on the train having been to see my niece in London. It was a Saturday evening and there was a group of young people in the carriage. 
They were loud and confident and in high spirits. And I would have been a bit intimidated by them even when I was their age. My instinct was to keep my head down, keep reading my book. But one of them, to the great embarrassment of his girlfriend, asked me where I'd been. And when I said I'd been to see my niece, who was at the time at the Salvation Army College, he wanted to know what that was all about. And they wanted to know about faith. I ended up telling them about Jesus and why I follow him, and they listened. It felt like the last thing I would have expected. And if somebody had told me as I stood at King's Cross and waited for the platform number that that was going to happen, I would have been really apprehensive. I will never know, till I get to heaven, what impact God's spirit had on them that evening, but he enabled me to be bold and to keep the appointment that he had made for me. The apostle could have stayed in the temple courts. They could have just not engaged with the mission field all around them, but God empowered them to go where, although it might not have felt safe, he was calling them to proclaim him with boldness. Then the spirit makes us unstoppable. When Rachel was talking to us about, for example, giving somebody a gospel or a Christian book, she said, what's the worst that can happen? And of course, for us, the worst probably wouldn't be very bad. Those young people on the train could have laughed at me or sworn at me, and I'd still have got off at the station and walked home to my nice, comfortable house. For the apostles, as for many believers, even in our times, in different parts of the world, talking about and demonstrating their faith in Jesus results in imprisonment. All of the apostles end up in the public jail. They're put there overnight while the Sanhedrin assemble, ready to question them in the morning. But there's no stopping the work of the kingdom. An angel frees them from prison, opening the doors in the night. And this is not so that the apostles will have no further trouble. Not a bit of it. They're freed for a purpose. Go and stand in the temple courts, the angel tells them, and tell the people about this new life. We enjoy the discomfort of the authorities on discovering that the apostles have apparently walked through the locked doors and vanished. And then look, here they are, doing exactly what the angel has told them to do, standing there and teaching the crowd which has gathered. It would seem that God's power and the witness of his people is unstoppable. You've probably heard of Brother Andrew, the founder of Open Doors, who was used to take Bibles to God's people in Eastern Europe in the days of the Iron Curtain. He describes how he approached the border of what was then Yugoslavia in 1957 with luggage in his car stuffed with Bibles and Christian literature, which he knew would be confiscated if they were found. He prayed that God, who opened the eyes of the blind, would now make seeing eyes blind. 
and prevent the guards from seeing what he didn't want them to see. Amazingly, although they searched his camping gear and opened his suitcase and turned everything out, they totally ignored the books and they waved him through. That sounds impossible, as if he was making the whole thing up. Just the same way that this story about the apostles getting out of a locked prison sounds impossible. And in fact, if you read, as I have, a few commentaries on the subject, you soon discover that there are some supposedly Christian scholars who are very sceptical about it. But the impossible is what God does. Nothing and nobody can stop the growth of his kingdom and the work of telling people about this new life. In a world where we tend to think that we're in charge, where we think that we know so much and we're so sophisticated, we can forget that there is another supernatural dimension to our lives. God sees and acts where we cannot, and he is in charge. He rules over all. He already knows the way around it, whatever it is. We just need to turn up, and he will do the rest. And the Spirit gives us his priorities. What does it mean to have priorities? On the day that I moved to my present house, I was focused amid all the comings and goings of the removal men on finding the bedclothes, the duvet and the pillows. That was because my first priority was to make up my bed so that when the time came that I was fed up of unpacking all the boxes and I couldn't take it anymore, I could just fall into it. A priority takes over from everything else. All other things fade into the background. The priority of the apostles is to obey Jesus and to point to him at all times. They are finally brought to the court. The guards who bring them in don't use any force because they're really worried about the feelings of the crowd and the fact that they could turn violent. The apostles could just have appealed to those people to help them in this situation, just as they could have disobeyed the angel and gone into hiding. But they didn't take the easy way out. Brought before the Sanhedrin, they are unafraid. The high priest reminds them that they've already been ordered not to preach in this name, a name which he can't bring himself to pronounce. And he says that they have filled Jerusalem with their teaching. Well, that's a pretty good accolade from the enemy. In this short space of time, people everywhere in the city have heard the good news of Jesus. The high priest is indignant that he and the rest of the establishment could have been held responsible for the death of Jesus. He just doesn't want to hear any more about him. But the apostles know where their priorities lie. They put Jesus first and foremost all the time. Peter and the others tell the Sanhedrin that they have to obey God and nobody else. They point to Jesus, Jesus first. And just to drive the point home, they give the priest and his colleagues a mini summary of the gospel. 
We're astonished at their bravery. But this is evident that the spirit is at work in their lives. Nothing will stop the work. He is in charge. This could have been the end of the story. Of course it isn't, because God plans to ensure that the gospel is spread to the ends of the earth, and these plans aren't going to be thwarted by a bit of persecution in Jerusalem. Just after the verses that we read today, we read about a wise man called Gamaliel, a member of the Sanhedrin, who basically says, if these people don't have God on their side, then the movement will fizzle out soon enough. But if they do have him on their side, then there's nothing we can do to stop them. Leave them alone. The apostles are beaten and released. Nothing can stop the work of talking about Jesus and they rejoice because they've been found worthy of suffering for his name. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, martyred by the Nazis in World War II, wrote, the messengers of Jesus will be hated to the end of time. They will be called crazy fanatics and disturbers of the peace. They will be sorely tempted to desert their Lord But the end is also near. They must persevere and hold on until it comes. Only they will be blessed who remain loyal to Jesus and his word until the end. These are sobering words. They remind us that standing up for Jesus and putting him first can cost us dear. There are many ways in which we might find ourselves under attack. But God knows exactly what he's doing. He has a plan to glorify Jesus through our lives, just as he did through the lives of the first apostles. The mission that started in Jerusalem has spread to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here this morning. When we read about these heroes of the early church, we might find ourselves feeling we're inadequate by comparison as if they've got something that we haven't got. And of course, that is not true, because we, like them, have the Holy Spirit. The apostles are ordinary people, made extraordinary by his power. And that's what we are too. If we remember who's in charge, who knows what God will do in and through our lives. Praise his name. Amen.